I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Uh, hello there. It's, uh, it's, it's Molly Green. Now, listen, before we even start the Happy Garden podcast, I uh, wanted to let you know what happens here at home when me and Mr. Green... <laughs> I've had, I've had a snifter and we think we can sing. <laughs> all the leaves are brown. No. All the leaves are brown. Oh yeah. All the leaves are brown. No. Hmm? no. What? All the leaves are brown. Didn't that was it? No. <laughs> Hang on. All the leaves are brown. All the leaves are brown. And the sky is grey. And the sky is grey. Well, welcome, welcome to, to the happy... Put in another word, beans. then. But you I put in another... we're ad-libbing. No, because I have to... We both have to come in. Welcome to the... Not well, welcome. Why not? Because it doesn't sound right. You have to leave a gap to when I get to the end of the grey so I can get a breath to do the... <laughs> Shh. All the leaves are brown. All the leaves are brown. And the sky is grey. And the sky is grey. Welcome to the... One more time. All the leaves are brown. All the leaves are brown. And the sky is grey. And the sky is grey. Welcome to the Happy Garden Podcast on this autumn day. Shall we crack on with the show? Molly Green and Darren Rudge. Alan, Alan, it's Molly and Darren. Hello, Molly and Darren. Hello, oh, you, you recognise us? I do, I do. Yeah, sure you do. The Happy Garden. <laughs> <laughs> and a very, very warm welcome to the Happy Garden podcast. My name is Molly Green, joined by the uh, <laughs> ably capable <laughs> Darren Rudge. Hello, ably capable Darren Rudge. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? All right. I'm all right. <laughs> ably capable. I don't, um, I don't know where that came from. Certainly ably capable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how's things with you, Darren? 
I'm okay. I'm in a different room today. I don't know whether you can tell, but I'm in the spare room. The upstairs today. <laughs> Darren, Darren, a little bit earlier on, I said, I can hear a hum. It's really strange. It's a hum that I haven't heard before. Yeah, yeah. that's the M6, That'll be- Molly. <laughs> <laughs> but you've closed the window now. <laughs> and the M6 has gone. Uh, so what are we doing today on episode three of the Happy Garden podcast? What are you bringing to the horticultural table, Mr Rudge? Well, I've got a money-saving tip, folks. Yes. Uh, for, for autumn, if you run out of washing powder, I've got something you can try. Um, swat or not, we're going to take a look at the earwig. We're going to do um, a cutting special. So this time of year, we take semi-ripe wood cuttings. So I'm going to show you, uh, well, tell you how to uh, actually take semi-ripe wood cuttings. Got some jokes for you and some jobs. How about oh, that? You, uh, you've just reminded me, we've got some listener jokes as well. All I have to impart to you. Great. Great. <laughs> Sounds great. good. Also today we're going to be hearing from uh, Andy Lound, our very good friend, historian, award winner. Amazing to stand with Andy Lound. He's talking about the history of talking to plants today. It's not a new concept. Yeah, it's really interesting. And also earlier on in the week, I spoke to Dr. Kevin Butt, uh, who is an absolutely fascinating man. He is one of the UK's leading worm experts. He's a reader in ecology at the University of of Central Lancashire and all things worm. He's got a book coming out. Guess what his book's called, Darren? <laughs> go on, go on, guess. Something with worms in Which is just simply called worm. <laughs> <laughs> what else would you call it? Um, so question, um, questions like, you know, do worms have sex? Do worms sleep? Do worms communicate? We're going to explore all things uh, worm a little bit later on. And how on earth do they get under your pots on the patio? How do they get under there? All of this and more still to come on Happy Garden with Molly Green and Darren Rudge. Ah, Dazzler, do you want to start with jobs for the week ahead? Yes, we can do. Um, Weather-wise, now, did you get the storm last night, by the way, about three o'clock? Well, this uh, morning. We, we did. Yeah. It was uh, it was monumental. Um, autumn definitely, definitely here. We're recording this on the 18th of September. Beautiful day outside. Is it nice in the black country? Is it, is it sunny? It is. It's lovely. It's just started to grey over, actually. Uh, so, um, but yeah, it's been OK. It's been a good sunny morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's nice. But uh, yeah, it is definitely um, on the turn. And we have got quite a wet and windy week in store, particularly Tuesday, Wednesday. Really strong winds as well. But if we're going to get out into the gardens, our dazzler, what shall we be doing? Now in the happy garden. Oh, I say, sweetie, this is my favourite bit. Time for Darren to be absolutely flabulous and regale us with his gardening jobs for the week ahead. Oh, yes. <laughs> go. <laughs> Here we go then, folks. So, um... It's nearly time to be swapping over those bedding plants if you've got hanging baskets and patio pots. Do you put out winter bedding? Well, perhaps this year, how about trying something different? You know, actually getting some pansies and some primulas and things like that. And spring bulbs in your uh, in your uh, hanging baskets and your patio pots. But before you do that, you can keep your hanging baskets and patio pots uh, going by just giving them a little 
bit of a liquid feed and get a, get a few more weeks out of them um, you may as well so uh, do um, keep your hanging baskets and patio pots going by just giving them that little bit more liquid feed and uh, remember deadheading always produces more flowers conditions are ideal for sowing a hardy annual border as well uh, these are things that we class as wildflowers so all you need to do is just cultivate a piece of land pop some drills in and sow your seed and they will flower in the place where you actually sow them don't forget finally uh, to buy and plant your spring bulbs remember rule of thumb is two and a half times the depth of the bulb um, that's how deep they need to be planted so go out there now get them into the ground and plant your dafts your tulips your crocuses and your snowdrops and many other things there's some jobs for the week molly I tell you what I forgot to uh, mention at the at the top of the episode. You're going to love this, Darren. I have finally, finally got in touch with Recompose. Wow. Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, I've been trying. Too, yeah. yeah, a few years ago I tried to. It just didn't work out. Now, it is absolutely a fascinating concept that Recompose is a licensed, fully serviced funeral home which offers human composting. So if a friend, a family member dies, you can have them composted. You can have them turned into soil. It is the first human composting company in the entire world. And uh, Katrina from Recompost, Recompose. Actually, it wouldn't be a, a good title, would it, Recompost? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's, that's, uh, that's, not subtle, that's not subtle enough, is it? It's Recompose. <laughs> um, Reverend America are, are going to be joining us in the next few weeks here on the Happy Garden Podcast. How do you feel about that, Darren? Oh, you can do that to me. <laughs> can we? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think it's great. And you get about a wheelbarrow full. So uh, a yeah. compost when once you've been recomposed. <laughs> well, I think it might be slightly more because I read on their website they said you can when all the process is done, which we'll find out about when uh, when we when they join us. You can take a truck. It says you can, you have a flatbed if you like to go and pick them up. So yeah, I don't know if it's more than wheelbarrow. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yeah, it would certainly cover the front bed. Well, I suppose it depends on how large the person was. It, it does with. say that. <laughs> it does say that. It, and it takes a remarkably short time to compost somebody, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we do? Yeah, I've got so many questions. By the way, before we get on to, to, to some of these gardening questions, I must give you all the ways to get in touch with the Happy Garden podcast. So anything, uh, as Darren and I have been saying for the last couple of episodes, any because we're new, obviously, we're new to this podcasting lark, uh, and we need your feedback. What would you like us to talk about? What would you like us to investigate? You see, the, the worm interview that comes up <laughs> shortly actually came came from uh, from you guys because... I've had three separate messages, Darren, to say, can the Happy Garden podcast explain how the garden works? How does everything fit in with each other? How does it work? And that's that's why we're getting Dr. Kevin Butt to explain worms. It's all one big chain, isn't it, the garden? Well, we could get into the nitrogen cycle and the carbon Ooh. cycle and <laughs> um, phosphorus cycles, can if we? you really want to. <laughs> well, uh, let's put it out there. Do people want us to, uh, to discuss those sorts of things? That's deep horticulture, isn't it? Yes. You know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, people need to know how the garden works so they can understand. If you can understand your soil, folks, uh, when once you've got that understanding and make your soil work for you, yeah. your garden will just follow. 
it's it's as simple as that, really. Well, let me give you the, the ways to get in touch. There's just a simple email, which an awful lot of people just find uh, easiest. And it's all one word, thehappygardenpodcast at gmail.com. Thehappygardenpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we, oh gosh, the Facebook is galore. I've got my own. Just search for Molly Green. Molly with an I-E. I'm the girl with the headphones on. Uh, Darren Rudge, you've got your own as well, our Dazzler. Um, it's the one in the blue shirt. I'm in the blue shirt, <laughs> Well, we ought to retake your photo, and you could have, yeah, I don't know, you could have a daffodil behind your ear or something a little bit more uh, <laughs> striking. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and also, also, Darren, we have managed this week to get the Happy Garden Podcast Facebook up, its own Facebook up and running, which yes. is really. <laughs> <laughs> no, folks, I'm, I'm sorry it's taking so long. It's because I've been in charge of it. Jared, if you'd been in charge of it, it would have been up weeks ago. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's there now, though. Um, and I, well, you will, you'll be jealous. I invited all my friends. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Mm. All 802. Well, um, it's, nine, it's 900 now. We're, we're near 1,000. No. Oh, don't be jealous because it's only been up for two two weeks, Darren. I've only been be on Facebook for like 10 years. 12, you said. Oh. No, but it's like witchcraft. Ooh. No, honey, it's like witchcraft. I was told, producer Dan said, click the invite your friends button. And then like witchcraft, bing, 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 bing. Lots of people were liking the um, the, the Happy Garden podcast page. So, yeah, I've, invi- I've invited them all and build it, build it and they've come. So yeah, that's excellent. great. Uh, you do you you explain how it works so people can post people can post yeah. pictures and questions on there yeah they can do i mean they can get in touch with us through facebook now and you can pop pictures on there and and things like that and just just get in touch with us and make comments and uh, ask us questions and things like that that will become a sort of central hub for us molly um to actually yeah. deal with um uh, the folks that listen to our lovely little podcast yes well yes and also instagram we're on instagram as well um the happy garden podcast on instagram darren we're everywhere <laughs> We are. Everywhere. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> right. Shall we do Dan in Dawlish? Shall we do Dan in Dawlish? Let's do Dan in Dawlish. This is a question that came in on the email, thehappygardenpodcast at gmail.com. Is it com? Is it com? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It is, it's dot com. No, yes, dot com. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot thing. Oh my god, we sound like really old people who just can't do things. <laughs> oh dear. Oh no. <laughs> I used to despise people like us when I was in my twenties. <laughs> oh, how life how life marches on. <laughs> right, anyway. So Dallin Dawlish says, Molly Darren, great to finally have the podcast and glad we here get to hear you on a weekly basis basis. I found you a few years ago and I've always listened on sounds but glad you've now gone national. Oh, I ought to just explain, um, Darren and I we've been on the BBC forever but uh, but we left yesterday didn't we Darren? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we might sound a bit tired because we went out with a bang didn't we? <laughs> it was a hell of a party. <laughs> it really was it, there was tears but there was a lot more laughter yeah it was Anyway, so yes, we're national now, sweetie. So uh, Dan says, my question is on moles. This is a very interesting one, Darren. Now, I love all God's creatures, but moles are pushing me to the limit. (laughs) So that's not funny. Every morning, 
there seems to be more and more molehills in my garden. Darren, is there a way of deterring them? I wish them no harm, but if they could go next door, I'd be grateful. Keep up the laughter, and that's from Dan. Well, moles can be, um, you know, a terrible creature to have in the garden if you like to garden, because obviously they're burrowing through um, the beds and borders and come up in your lawn. So um, a pesky pest. But you have to realise that we, you know, we have to live with um, these creatures, don't we? Because um, they're just doing what comes naturally to them. If you've got a big problem with them, then there, there is a number of things that you can try. So it's not the end of the world. First of all, there is mole netting. So you can actually buy netting that you can put across the lawn or even into beds and borders that you stretch taut and then that deters them from coming to the surface. So as I push through the surface, they just want something nice and gentle to push into. Um, And if there's the netting, which is quite fine, it stops them coming to the surface and just deters them from actually coming to the surface. The second thing is the electronic devices. Now, I've personally tried some of these and most of them don't work. There are sonic devices that you can buy. They can be quite expensive, folks. But, you know, some just buzz. Um, uh, you can try those if you want to, Dan. The next thing is the um, a mole repellents. Uh, they're, a, they're a smoke that you drop down the mole hole. Doesn't hurt the mole at all. I can actually now be doing a podcast, sort of recommend uh, Pest Stop Biofume Mole Smokes. And they emit, emit uh, castor oil fumes. Now, what that does is it coats the actual tunnels with castor oil and it deters uh, worms from coming down into the tunnels, which is obviously what moles like to eat. Basically, once you take their food away, they will move on. So that's the way that works. You can plant, so caper spurge, euphorbia latharis, which is a biennial plant, okay, has roots that exudes things that repels moulds, but do be careful because they can become a little bit more um, sort of rampant in the garden. And also alliums, molly will like this because there's allium molly, okay, which oh. is a bulb, uh, which again is a deterrent. Now, there are traps, but really... They're illegal. Um, most of them are illegal, although garden centres do uh, actually sell them because they reckon they're humane, but um, most of them are not. So don't use traps, but they are there. The final thing I'd recommend, if you're really, really struggling with it, is to uh, hire a professional to come in and actually deal with the mole um, uh, yourself. Well, so there's edi- five, uh, five be- or six ideas. I'll be editing that bit out. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> I thought I got past the uh, traps bit quite well. I was I was wondering whether to interject there or not. Because we don't want to we don't want to hurt them. We, as, as we said earlier, part it's they're all God's creatures and they're part of the way. Don't they aerate the soil? Let me speak up for them. <laughs> well, they do. Do they? They, they? they aerate the soil, but they, they just disturb things. And remember, this is just one one sort of race view on the world, i.e. us. Yeah, the human it's their garden race. too, yeah. Yeah, it's their garden too. Well, they don't, so. well, the thing is, they don't know it's your garden. They don't no. know there's another species that wants an immaculate lawn, you know? So they can be quite <laughs> devastating. But, you know, there's, there's four or five different ideas there, Dan, for you to actually try. Okay. okay? And to consider. I'm going to lob in a couple of things at the end of that. Do you remember we had Chris Beardshaw on the show years ago? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Lovely Chris. Where's he? Don't seem to see Chris Beardshaw around that much these days. Anyway, he said Chanel uh, Chanel number five, 
Mm -hmm. if you can afford it. He said they really dislike strong smells and and, and Chanel Number 5 being one of them. And then running the lawnmower literally just leaving the and again it's expensive if it's petrol if it's you know whatever but get the lawnmower on your lawn leave it for 20 minutes running because they don't like the vibrations the other thing to try as well is you know moles don't like badgers but obviously you can't do anything with badgers because that's again illegal against the the law but apparently ferret poo smells yeah. like badger poo yeah. and there's loads of ferret rescues that i'm sure will will give you their excrement nice <laughs> to push push down the hole. Hello, and, I'm uh, ringing. I'm ringing to find out if you have any excess excrement, please. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, it does really work. And then um, we're going to talk an awful lot about male urine on this podcast, folks. So again, a couple of liters of male urine down the hole would deter you, wouldn't it? I'd let alone a mole. So when, uh, there yeah. you go. When you say the hole, <laughs> what are you to do? To scrape off the because apparently yeah. the, the the mole hill, the topsoil is, is amazing stuff. You know, the holes oh, are brought great it up. Stuff. Yeah. Yes. So when you scrape that off will you see a hole yes you will yeah. yeah and you can just drop things down and and uh, drop the smokes in the smokes are really friendly actually and do work quite effectively so okay. uh, and they don't hurt the moles at all so you're not gassing a mole or anything like that you're just coating the uh, the tunnels with castor oil and it, st- it deters the worms from coming through into the tunnels so it stops their food. I did actually sit down with um, I think I'll play this I do have it I sat down with Monty Oh, Monty darling, this is the way I said that. Yeah, I sat with Mont, Mon, M, and uh, we had <laughs> we had a cup of coffee together. And I was actually asking about this was a few years ago about pests. In, I'll probably drop this in on the on the podcast for various things because I've got him to, actually I've got him talking about badgers and ants and uh, and I did ask him about moles because it's a question Darren and I have had for many many years. So this is uh, Monty Don's take on moles. Uh, as far as moles are, they are a major problem. In so much that molehills do cause disruption to lawns. I have moles in my greenhouse, I have moles in my borders, I have moles on the paths. I would never kill a mole. Uh, A, they're beautiful, and I respect that. And B, molehills, you know, turn it to your advantage. Molehills make brilliant potting compost. Um, They are... It means your soil is rich in earthworms. So that's a good sign. It's a good indicator. They, as someone has pointed out, that all these burrowing animals are aerating the soil. They're improving it. If the price is the odd molehills have moles, again, go with it. It's lovely. It's, you know, we have this very limited idea that nature should exist to serve us. It's just not true. It's wrong. It's a mistake. We are part of nature. And just think of the damage we're doing to moles. So learn to live with them. Yes, there can be a pain, and I will be the first to complain. But just complain. Don't kill. You're listening to The Happy Garden with Molly Green and Darren Roach. What a load of old manure. You've seen a mole, Darren. Yes. Like a, a mole. <laughs> you, know, like, yeah. you know, like a mole. <laughs> yeah, I've seen moles. Alive. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, have you? I've never seen one alive. Yeah, it's been a long time. I think it was about 15 years ago yeah. I actually saw a, a live mole because we were, we were digging through a garden space because I landscape and design as well and disturbed a mole. It literally was a fleeting glance oh. and it had gone. But lovely velvety coat. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, they're gorgeous. I've seen loads of moles, sadly, all dead. Firstly, because um, Pod, one of our dogs... 
manages to get them. It's, it's very upsetting. Uh, but they are the most beautiful creatures, yeah. Mr. Mole, and their their paddle, their their feet, and their claws. And mm. as you say, they're so velvety. And I was bike riding once, and there was a, um, one on the side of the road. It must have been run over, which was bizarre. It was just sort of on the by the grass and tarmac, right at the side of the road. Odd. I don't know why I'd yeah. find a mole there, but there was one. Well, I, th- I think they I think they come up against the concrete curbstones because it makes me laugh quite a lot actually. Because you'll see a mole and it's hit the curbstone, then it'll go along a little bit further and, oh, and try hit again. the curbstone oh, and it'll try again yeah. to come up. Yeah. And perhaps it tried crossing the road. I don't know. I, don't know. Mm. I stopped the other day on the, on the dual carriageway um, <laughs> because there was a beetle. We were in traffic and I was in the outside lane. And, you know, you, you tend to look at the uh, the central reservation and stuff. Just so, look at the litter, look at that bottle half filled with wee. And it was going along. <laughs> and there was a big beetle and it was trying to get up the curb, as hedgehogs do. And, you know, the curbs are really deep, aren't they, on some roads? Yeah. And this beetle could not get it. Up and it was doing exactly what you just said. And it was going along a bit, trying to climb up, falling back down, going along a bit. Da, da, da. So I got out of my car and I got a leaf and I, 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 I safely crossed it um, onto the uh, onto the grass verge. Oh. See, folks, this is what Molly does. <laughs> this is Molly Green. She saves green flies. I do, and uh, and and puts them back to nature, so that they can bring their families back uh, to meet her. Oh, you I know. don't know, but I don't know if they bring their families. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What happened was, I once brought a green fly to work inadvertently. It must have stuck to my bag as I as I got into the car and as I rushed past a rose bush, and uh, and I found it on my script at work, and so I had to keep it safe in an egg box, an empty egg box that I happened to have with me. <laughs> yeah, it stayed with me all show. And I brought it back home and released it onto the same rose bush so it would reunite with its family. You're lovely, Molly Green. Well, <laughs> friend to the animals. Now in the happy garden. It's about time for some Alan Titters. Brace yourself for your gardening jokes of the week from Darren Rudge. Brace yourself, Rodney. Brace yourself. I hope you're ready for these. I'm ready. Here we go then. Why did the tomato come last in the Tour de France? Oh, because he couldn't catch up. Darren! You spoilt that. Oh, well, that's because... You've spoilt that. I've banned you from doing ketchup jokes. (laughs) It's a long time ago. I'm disappointed with that. Next. (laughs) What's a banana's favourite footwear? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Slippers. Good! (laughs) Darren, good. Good. What did the potato say to his girlfriend? Um, want a bag of chips? No, <laughs> I only have eyes for you. Oh, that's good, because it tastes like eyes. Good, Darren, good. Why did Mr and Mrs Legume never argue? Love the word legume. I don't know. They were like two peas in a pod. <gasps> good, Darren. Yeah, good. How many carrots does it take to change a light bulb? I'm not sure. None, because they were all rooted to the spot. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, there you are. There's five. Yeah, that's good. Well, four were good. Four and a half. I, th- I think you'll find you've let me down. <laughs> you've let yourself down. The people listening to the podcast and you've down. Let the whole listenership down, Darren. Number one was I don't want to repeat that ever again. You don't do ketchup jokes from now on, okay? Yeah. Okay. Told you that years ago. Sorry. <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Except, except for one. Good. Oh, 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 wait. Oh. I've got so much paperwork in here. I had some, um, I got some jokes from, oh, was it Monica? 
Oh, Darren, I don't know who sent the jokes in. <laughs> if you sent some jokes in for Darren, thank you. I found her name. It's Louise. Much better gags than our dazzler. What are you trying to say? Well, I don't... Well, 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 joke's not good enough. Well, no, they're all right, but, you know, <laughs> these are better than the ketchup one. So, I, I love these. What do you call a, you know, a man or a woman? So, we've got three of these. Darren, what do you call a man with a spade on his head? I don't know. Oh, yes, of course you do. Doug. Oh, yes! Oh, no! You actually did. <laughs> what do you call a man without a spade on his head? I don't know. Douglas. <laughs> and then, finally, 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 uh, what do you call a man under a pile of leaves? <laughs> Russell. <laughs> Good, huh? All of those are welcome if you'd like to email. Yeah, please. Yes. Share. Please. 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 Those are brilliant. I, no ketchup jokes. <laughs> the Happy Garden Podcast at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can share it on the Facebook, which is the Happy Garden Podcast as well. As well. Yes. So, uh, in the week, I spoke to Dr. Kevin Butt, who is one of the UK's leading experts on earthworms. Reader in Ecology at the University of Central Lancashire. A book forthcoming in October. I think it's released on the 23rd. I'll tell you a little bit later on in the podcast. He's fascinated by worms. He's the most enthusiastic and motivated man talking about worms. Incredible. I will play the second part of this interview a little bit later on in the podcast. Uh, here's part one. I started by asking Kevin just how long worms have actually been around on Earth for. They've been here for millions of years. They've been around. They're one of, they're one of the sort of ancient groups from which many other organisms have evolved and they had a, a sort of beginning in a marine environment and then became more terrestrial as time went on and evolved into the earthworms that we know today. That we know and love. They are odd-looking things, though, aren't they? Um, yeah, <laughs> they're very different to us, let's put it that way. But um, having worked with them for a while, you get used to them and you grow to love them, I suppose. And Kevin, what do worms actually do? I've had an awful lot of people asking, sort of, um, well, obviously on a, in a global setting, but especially in your own garden setting, what do they do in the chain? They, they do an awful lot of things. I, I'll sort of list some of them, but the major ones, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest thing they probably do is they utilise waste organic material. So leaves, for example, dead leaves that fall from trees, they, they use them as food and they incorporate them into the soil. And by doing so, they increase the, the fertility of the soil. They, they bring about the mixing of the, the organic part with the mineral soil that's already present. And they produce a, a really fertile soil that is great for plant growth. They don't, they don't set out to do this. What they're doing is actually finding their own nutrition, that they're, they're feeding. Um, but by doing so and with interactions with, with microorganisms, they bring about good quality soil, good friable soil that is great for the garden. In burrowing, in just moving through the soil, they create these, these channels, these earthworm burrows that people will be familiar with. And uh, these allow air to get into the soil. They allow oxygen to get into the soil. And this allows for good plant growth, the roots to grow well and other organisms to survive. And it also allows water to enter the soil. And obviously water is required for, again, plant growth for everything to exist. And uh, earthworms are just one of these vectors, one of these parts of the bigger, the, the bigger system, if you like. But without them, we'd be in a mess. We wouldn't have the soils that we appreciate today. 
Which we must bear in mind. I mean, we, we are far so more these days when it comes to pesticides, using chemicals in the garden, wanting an immaculate lawn that we put the chemicals on to green through. <clears throat> All of that over the last two or three decades when we used to sterilise our garden, which hopefully we don't do so much these days, must have had an effect on them. Absolutely. It would have had a really negative effect. A move towards more organic thinking uh, more natural thinking is 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 such a sensible move because any type of chemical, whether it's a, a herbicide, any sort of pesticide, um, whether it's even some fertilizers, can have negative effects on the the organisms in the soil, particularly earthworms. You have to remember that these are soft-bodied animals; they have a moist skin, so any sort of chemical is easily taken into their bodies. They they actually obtain their oxygen; they breathe through their skins. So any any contaminant in the soil, as they would consider it, as you know, we'd consider it to be something we were using perhaps sensibly in the soil, can have a negative effect on them. So there is a need to be to be somewhat um, sensible when when putting anything into the soil in terms of what it might do to the organisms there, particularly earthworms. One of the things I haven't mentioned, of course, is that uh, earthworms are a big part of food chains. And there are lots of organisms that prey on earthworms. Uh, and, you know, any gardener who's been digging the soil might have a friendly robin, robin that sits yeah. alongside, uh, or, or robins in particular, but other birds. And they and they love earthworms because they have a very high protein content. So they're a, they're a great source of food for birds, even mammals like like hedgehogs and moles uh, and, and, other, uh, badgers. and other organisms. Badgers. They do. Badgers they do damage, don't they, trying to get to the worm. Yeah, absolutely. Badgers will forage in fields, uh, looking and taking hundreds of worms in one evening, even. Um, so, so yeah, earthworms have many roles in the soil, but basically, what they're doing is just going about their their normal activity. And and of course, there are other types of earthworm that don't live in mineral soil. They live in the the litter layer, the organic layer on the surface. And we've harnessed some of these to undertake what we call vermicomposting. So you can feed your your waste material from the garden, even peelings from the kitchen, to these worms, and they'll break them down and they'll produce something um, called vermicompost, which is a really good source of organic matter to then add to your garden. So there's lots of things that earthworms can do. Oh, do you know, you've just reminded me, my husband wanted me to ask you a question. So in the compost, there's a, they're obviously not earthworms, they're the little red worms, whatever they're called. When you take yeah. compost out and put it on the garden... Should you pick yes. the worms out and put them back in the compost? If, if possible, yes, <laughs> okay. because because there are it's horses for courses. Those those types of worms can't live in mineral soil. Oh. So what they'll what they'll do is they'll move away and try and find another source of organic matter. Um, okay. So so yeah, if you can do, that's the best thing yeah. to do. Well, it'd be a cathartic fifteen minutes on your knees, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. It's, it's one of the big difficulties in verm in the vermicomposting industry is separating the worms from the wormwork material. Oh really? So yeah, yeah. They, they have to overcome that there. But it can it can be done just by using light as a as a way of driving them away. You know, you spread it out and they move to the thicker areas. And you take away the material that's been uh, that's been uh, worm free, and then continue with the process. Gosh, there's an awful lot goes on that you wouldn't ordinarily think about, you know, yeah. as regards worms and uh, an industry. Do, now this might be a silly question. I'm not sure. Do worms have personalities? 
<laughs> are they sent? You know, as a sentient being, do they communicate with each other? They, they may well communicate with with each other. There, there is some evidence to suggest that worms can act as a group. If, if I think I've read papers that suggest that uh, people have put uh, earthworms into particular settings, and they they will move as a group. They will move from one area to the other. But whether they're just picking up cues on the environment that they're in or whether they're picking up the cues from the other earthworms yeah. is debatable. But they, they can move en masse from one area to another. You see, now that also ties in something I asked David Bellamy two decades ago, and I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> ask you this. If you cut a worm in half, does it base it, does it, is that two worms? Do they have two heads, two brains? You know, pe people don't really understand, do they, the, how a worm but works? The, so what's the answer to that question? The, the answer is with an earthworm, if you cut it in halves, you end up with, if you cut it somewhere in the middle, let's a say, dead worm. you end up with... <laughs> yeah, you end up with a, a, a short, stubby front end that may survive and may regrow some segments to become slightly longer, but not necessarily depends on the species, as in so many things in the natural world, it depends. Um, but the rear end will just wriggle around and ultimately die. And because it's it's primarily just a lengthy piece of gut and it's where the, the earthworm is processing the material that it's, that it's eaten and gaining the nutrition from it. Some earthworms, interestingly, have the ability to deliberately break off their tail end, a bit like a lizard. And if they're attacked by a predator, they, they do this, and the wiggly part of the tail is then chased by the predator, hopefully, and the earthworm, the head end, can escape. Oh, that's interesting. But the yeah, but the answer to your question, the, the fundamental answer to the question is if you cut a worm in half, you don't get two worms. You get one worm and a wriggly bit that will die. Um, when I did some research maybe 30 years ago on breeding Lumbricus terrestris, the lobworm, for soil restoration, people said to me, or some people said to me, why don't you just cut them all in halves? You don't need to breed them. You could just multiply the number you had by... And of course, that was complete nonsense. But it's interesting because it's a question... If I give a public talk, I always get asked that question. The, the interesting thing, of course, is, again, there are some more primitive worms things like planarians, flatworms, that you can macerate them and the cells will all come back together and form the worm again. What? You can cut them in half and you can get two worms. So it's not such a silly question in some respect. Dr Kevin Butt there. And we'll be back with Kevin a little bit later on in the podcast. And I think I'll start by asking him next if worms sleep. <laughs> but all these are questions I just find fascinating. I don't know where you stand on worms. Hopefully you don't. Um, in that there's such an intricate part of the garden and we don't... Don't know all that much about them. Well, worms are fascinating, aren't they? Mm. I mean, they aerate the soil, gum things uh, because they excrete things, they stick things together, and they pull things into our soil and uh, digest and then poo things out. They're doing loads and loads of stuff for our plants, so we can't live without them. And if you've got good worm activity, and like. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Monty said earlier, if you've got a mole in the garden, it really is a good sign that you've got lots of worms. And that's a healthy soil. Yeah, That's absolutely. a really healthy soil. Good indicator. I also ask him in the next part of the interview as well, if they have sex, and, and, and more importantly than if they have sex, how do they get under your plant pots? How do they get under your plant pots <laughs> in your patio? And these massive, great, big, chunky worms under sort of a sealed pot. Uh, so he answers that as well. Let's get back to another listener question, uh, Dazzler. This is from okay. Peter. And he says, Molly, Darren, I have three simple brackets, I hope, questions about grass. The first is we have a large garden and I cut the grass with a machine that has the option of either collecting cuttings and tree leaves or mulching them. I have two opposing opinions about mulching. The first is that it retains the goodness in the soil. The other is that it encourages moss. What does Darren think? Um, there's a couple more, but let's, let's deal with that one first. Yeah, it is difficult, really, when you think about this, because the whole um, sort of process of your lawn is trying to keep it aerated if you want that type of lawn. So I think what you've got to consider, Peter, is what type of lawn do you, do you actually want? Do you want this lush green English lawn where there will be no thatch in the top surface, which is all the... All all the detritus that drops off the mower or are you not bothered do you, do you just want it to look green so you can turn these mowers into a mulching mode and it just it doesn't collect in the box in other words it just literally forces uh, anything that's uh, w- that would be collected into the top surface of the lawn if you want my personal opinion I think really mulching is great but it can be too much of a good thing you can have too much of a good thing and it can start to work against you but it does depend on your point of view as to whether you leave it on uh, the mulch setting or whether you collect and I personally uh, would probably do both I'd uh, in the summer months um, collect and then in the autumn months when we want to bulk our lawn up then switch it to that mulching mode just for a couple of cuts really and mulch into it after you've scarified so remember in the autumn you're going to scarify which relieves that top surface compaction it relieves and takes out all that thatch so after you've done that then what you'll do is you'll 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 replace it with those microscopic elements because it's cut down into these really small bits that are forced into the top surface of your lawn hope that answers your question anyway peter well that's question one secondly says molly darren is it too late to overseed lawns and again uh it is september the 18th (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was just reaching for my phone. What day is it? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this this time of, of year, is it too late to overseed lawns? No, it's entirely the right time to do it, Peter. Um, this time of year is where you should be using, uh, working on your lawn and maintaining it. So overseeding it, yeah, it's warm, it's wet. Remember, if you're going to use seed to pop it into the fridge for 24 hours because it breaks the seed coat, breaks the dormancy of your seed, so it'll germinate quicker for you otherwise it'll be down for three weeks and then just become bird food okay so uh, which is not a bad problem at all you should add a little bit extra for the birds but you do want some to germinate but uh, no it's entirely the right time of year to be doing that okay and then thirdly he says uh, lastly darren if i overseed can i then throw in some wildflower seeds Well, 
Well, again, entirely up to you. Yeah, most definitely. Um, obviously, with wildflowers, how close are you going to be clipping your lawn? That's the thing to think about. So, yeah, you can you can certainly mix some wildflower seeds, or you know, or do a general mix with uh, wildflower seeds. Remember, wildflowers really, really like the majority anyway, like a really depleted soil. So you might be disappointed as to what you get back, but certainly give it a go and report back to us. Send us some pictures in, Peter. We love photos. Don't yeah, that was send, send us some pictures, see what, see what happens. And uh, this is what I want to try and create on the podcast is this community where we can have people doing little trials for us and doing bits and pieces and reporting back for us on, uh, you know, little trials that, that they've tried. Have a go. Well, you could either email us at the Happy Garden Podcast. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Dot com. <laughs> no, at gmail.com. <laughs> Gmail.com, <Darren>. sorry. <laughs> I, we need I to, to what we need to do is get producer Dean to yeah. um make jingles so we we haven't got to say it and embarrass ourselves every single podcast and every time I try and do all the ways to get in touch we'll get this recorded and then we won't have to make fools of ourselves again <laughs> write that down do that later so yes you can uh, email us at the happy garden podcast at gmail.com or Peter, you can put it on the Facebook page, which is the Happy Garden Podcast. <laughs> Great. Let's get uh, Amazing Astound with Andy Lound on. Andy is fantastic. He is an award-winning, what did I call him the other day? An award-winning um, historian, award-winning author and an award-winning presentator. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> presentator. It, it, uh, yeah, a presentator. It's a new word and it applies to Andy Lound because he presentates all sorts of things. He is incredible. Uh, and again, if, if you want him to investigate the history of something, horticulturally speaking, something in your garden, something you've always thought, oh, where did that come from or how was that developed? Andy is the man. And again, use all the ways that we've just said <laughs> to get in touch. So today, here's Andy Lound with the history of talking to plants. It's amazing astound with Andy Lound. That's me. Hello, Molly and Darren. Today's potted history may sound, well, potty. Can plants hear sounds? Plants have no membranes to hear sound, but they do react to the vibration of sound waves. By nature, plants are designed to be highly adaptable to their environments, and plants do respond to the sound of your voice. In a study conducted by the Royal Horticultural Society, research demonstrated that plants did respond to human voices. In this study, there were ten tomato plants, eight of which had headphones placed around their parts. Over the course of one month, the plants would be read scientific and literary texts by both male and female voices each day. By the end of the month, the results concluded that plants who were read to grew more than the plants who were not read to. Additionally, the results revealed that the plants which listened to female voices grew one inch more than those who listened to male voices. What you can do is simply talk to your plants or start talking around your plants in order to help them grow. Research by South Korea's National Institute of Agricultural Biotechnology shows that plants begin to react to sounds at around 70 decibels. Lucky for us, 70 decibels is the sound level for the average human conversation. The more and the louder you talk or play music around your plants, the more stimulated they will be. In research conducted by evolutionary biologist Monica Gagliano, evidence shows that pea seedlings reacted to the sound of their environment. 
The sound introduced to these seedlings was the sound of running water. One tray had an enclosed plastic tube of running water at the end of it and the other had dry soil. Both trays of seedlings grew towards the sound of the water. Rich Marini from Penn State's Horticultural Department even suggests that plants respond to vibrations from sound waves because they are similar to how a plant is stimulated by the wind. Plant bioacoustics refers to the creation of sound waves by plants. Measured sound emissions by plants as well as differential germination rates, growth rates and behavioural modifications in response to sound are well documented. Plants detect neighbours by means other than well-established communicative signals, including volatile chemicals, light detection, direct contact and root signalling. Because sound waves travel efficiently through soil and can be produced with minimal energy expenditure, plants may use sound as a means for interpreting their environment and surroundings. Preliminary evidence supports that plants create sound in root tips when cell walls break. Because plant roots respond only to sound waves at frequencies which match waves emitted by the plants themselves, it is likely that plants can receive and transduce sound vibrations into signals to elicit behavioural modifications. Buzz pollination, sonication, serves as an example of a behavioural response to a specific frequency of vibrations of plants. Some 2,000 plant species have evolved buzz pollination in which they release pollen from their anthers only when vibrated at a certain frequency created by bee flight muscles. So, bees buzzing, that actually stimulates the plants. The vibrations cause pollen granules to gain kinetic energy and escape from pores in the anthers. Similar to buzz pollination, there's a species of evening primrose that has been shown to respond to bee wing beats and the sounds of similar frequencies by producing sweeter nectar. Well, Molly and Darren, talking to plants isn't daft after all. I used to talk to my Japanese maple, but he became too argumentative, so I stopped. See you both next time. I talk to the trees. That's why they put me away. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't he lovely? He's lovely. And how absolutely fascinating. There's you and I talking about links, and as we have done uh, this podcast, and how the garden works and the, and the chain. Look at that pollen being released on the vibration of the, the bee wings, the exact vibration, the bee helping the plant, the plant helping the bee. It, it's, it's symbiosis, isn't it? It's just the, the way that the, the garden works. Yeah, totally and utterly. I mean, that's it. That's exactly how it works. So the bee gets something from it and then the plant ultimately gets something from it by having its pollen carried away and pollinating another flower. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Andy Lound, thank you very, very much as always. He'll be back in a couple of weeks. Shall we do Darren Rudge's pruning? No, it's not pruning. It's a cutting special. Well, you might be pruning. Pruning and cutting. You can take cuttings from it. Excellent. (laughs) Let's do that. Perfect time of year um, to be getting on with that. And we did say last week, didn't we, that if you are taking little cuttings, perfect time as it is mid-September to prepare for free Christmas presents for your loved ones, friends and family. Yeah, so semi-ripe cuttings are an easy way to propagate a wide range of hardy plants, folks. So climbers, herbs, ground cover, shrubs and even trees, especially evergreens at this time of year, without any need for special equipment and skills. Um, We take cuttings like this uh, mid to late summer and into early autumn. What you need to do is choose healthy pest-free material and use clean and sharp tools. 
and take your cuttings as early in the morning as possible because uh, here's another podcast word that's when your cutting is going to be turgid in other words turgidity is full of water and that's what you want them to be they should be around about four to six inches long in new money that's 10 to 15 centimeters they should be fleshy or green on the top and slightly woody at the base and it should be from the current season's growth try not to uh, choose flowering stems if you can help it because that stem has already devoted its time and energy into flowers so try and choose non-flowering stems if you can do folks cut below a leaf joint and remove the lower leaves just leaving a, a pair on top and then insert it into a pot of cutting cot, cutting compost i nearly said that properly and cutting compost is simply multi-purpose compost 50 percent of that and 50 percent of vermiculite perlite or even grit or even a little bit of sand okay you mix it together and it makes a really free draining medium and then water them in but don't make that compost sodden it only just needs to be wet and then don't forget to label place in a sunny warm position and pop a sandwich bag over the top remember to remove your bag to reduce that condensation and more or less every other day as you plod on with these folks just remove any dead material keep misting the compost and rooting should occur within six weeks so go out there propagate things like mahonia magnolia fuchsias camellias rhododendrons roses hydrangeas clematis and a whole host more there you go semi-ripe wood cutting special done this is nice I could see you and I sashaying round a floor to this Um, labelling, you mentioned the L word. Um, you know, I did loads of hydrangea cuttings. I did blue mop, yes. blue mop head, um, white pointy ones, the lime green pointy ones. What are they? Yeah. What are they? Uh, those are arborescent. Yeah, one of them. So, well, several yeah. of them. And then I also did lots of the pink sort of fluffy cloud ones. What are they? Mm. Well, that's a bit mop head again. Yeah. Well, they're not. They haven't got a round head. They're more of a cloud, sort yeah. of a half a cloud. Just, they're still moppy heads. Uh, all right. <laughs> anyway, so I did loads, and I, I, I WhatsApped Darren. I said, oh, look at all my cuttings. Um, I don't know why I was proud, because they were all sort of bent in half and fainted, weren't they? Do you remember? Yeah. And then they all re-erected themselves about two days later, and, and that's fine, Darren. It's all going really well. There must be... I probably did ten of each. And I looked at them the other day. Yes. And? The dog Podrick has taken all the labels, gone. <laughs> Picked them all out. There's no labels left in any of the pots now. And Patrick is such a nice dog. <laughs> He's a kleptomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> I found one of them in the lawn the other day. Um, but the, nothing's labelled. I mean, there's, there's nothing I can do, is there? I'm just going to have... When would they flower? Will it be next spring or do you have to wait a couple yeah, of years? Yeah, you, you'll get flowers on them, yeah. As soon as as soon as you pop them up and you, you get them underway, they will flower for you. Oh, okay. So it's not yeah. like I have to wait years to find out no. what, I've, what I've done. Not at all. Shouldn't, <laughs> no. Good old Patrick. That was nice. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Shall we get back to worms? Shall we get back to Dr. Kevin Butt? Uh, yeah. And the second part of my conversation with him, absolutely smashing, man. He is a reader in ecology at the University of Central Lancashire. And we've already found out lots about worms in our first part of the chat. This part of the chat started by asking Kevin if worms sleep. 
They certainly have times when they are less active, let's put it that way. A lot of worms just live by eating their way through the soil. They're so-called geophagus, and they gain their nutrition from the organic matter in the soil or from the microbes that are working upon that organic matter. But there are other earthworms that have a deep burrow, and they, they sit and they stay in that vertical burrow all of the time. And they come out at night, for example, to feed on the soil surface or to mate on the soil surface. And for the rest of the time, they are relatively inactive in their burrows. And they sort of just wait for the right moment to come out and do what they need to do. They, they're busy in their burrows. They maintain their burrows. They tidy their burrows. They may be producing cocoons below ground and, and other things. We've done some work um, looking at the, the, the sort of the, the diurnal cycle, and we had light and dark. And during the, the light phase, they're not reactive. But as soon as you switch off the lights, they're out. They come out and they're active on the soil surface and pretty active. And then the activity tails off as the, as the night goes on. So maybe they get tired. I don't know. Do they live long? I'd, I'd thought such slow-moving creatures would have longevity. Um, it's a very good question. And normally, I think most worms probably only manage to last less than a year or a year really? because they get predated. It's quite a lot of predation takes place on earthworms. But we've done some work um, we, we've done some work in the field and found some worms, some some biggish worms that we think may be as old as, you know, 10 years. We can't be certain, but this is a place that has few predators, lots of food, and is seldom visited by people up in Scotland on, on the Isle of Rum. Um, so we found we found some very, very, very large worms there. In the laboratory... How large? Okay, sorry, how, how large? large? Um, may, maybe about three to four times the size you might find normally. Um, in the laboratory, we, we, we've kept worms for seven or eight years, just known individuals. And that, that wasn't in a deliberate act to find out how long they would live. It was just an experiment that finished. And then we kept the worms and kept the worms. And one or two kept alive, stayed alive for, for longer and longer. Be honest, did you get attached to them? <laughs> they, they were ones that I would show to people if they came to the lab, let's be fair. Oh, but, proudly. Um, yeah. There are, there are some, I mean... There are, there are some larger worms. I mean, there's some very large worms in the world that, that grow to a couple of metres. Um, but people don't really know so much about these because they live at, in, in, in deep burrows. And, and if you bring them out of their burrows and take them to the lab, they tend to die. But we've kept some of the larger German worms from the, from the Black Forest, a thing called Lumbricus bedensis, in the laboratory for, for some years. And I suspect that these may live for more than a decade. They, 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 are, they live in burrows that can be two to three metres deep. And it's a very slow existence that they have and they don't get too much disturbance. And it's possible that these animals can live for a very long time. It's amazing. For, for, for some things, some people may find so simplistic a creature. They are. I can see your passion in them. They're incredible. I mean, you've been working with them, uh, around them for, what, 35 years. Where did your passion come from, Kevin? <laughs> I've always had a, a great love of natural history from, from a child chasing newts and butterflies and goodness knows what around the countryside or the sort of countryside where I used to live. So, so there, there was always a desire on my part to study biology, which I did, and, and ecology. And then it was a question of what's going to happen thereafter. I, I was keen to do a a research degree in order to carry on in this in this sphere. And by pure chance, there was a, a project looking at earthworms. So I, I sort of ended up with earthworms, if you like. And since the, the 1980s, have been studying earthworms. And it's and it's wonderful. And and I've learned so much, but like I've already suggested, there's still so much we don't know. There are there are hundreds of workers across the world looking at earthworms trying to find out specific aspects of their 
of their being. And uh, hopefully we're learning things that are of value. It's not just research for research's sake. It's research that can be applied. And uh, I think, you know, I'll continue, I suppose, until I retire. I love it that you pass your passion on as well. I know you do a lot of work with schools, don't you, with wormeries and getting kids involved in noticing the worm and looking after the worm as part of the chain, which we spoke about before. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, it's it's something that it's okay. Worms are a great they're a great model organism to use, but it's really making people aware of the natural world. There's so much out there that our environment is so important. If we're not careful, we're going to spoil it for future generations, and we can't let that happen. This notion of sustainability is real, and we've all got to take it on board. And I think uh, an awful lot of people do this just in their own gardens, going back to the garden theme that we were talking about earlier. And uh, the, the wonderful thing is that we can all do our little bit, you know, on a small scale next to our own house. But the, I think everybody needs to, as as, as everybody says, you know, um, think globally, but uh, act locally. One final question about uh, our gardens. How on earth does an earthworm live under a plant pot? What's it doing there? <laughs> How did it get there? And what's it doing? Um, it it's, it's making use of the, the shelter provided by the plant pot. Earthworms are very mobile. They don't always stay in the soil. Under good quality conditions, they tend to try and disperse. They, trend, they tend to try and colonise new areas. Um, even though they're hermaphrodite, both male and female, they still need to have sexual reproduction. So they mate with a, a nearby worm. Um, so they're then going to produce offspring. They're going to produce cocoons, which will hatch into smaller earthworms. Those earthworms are then closely related. So they really want to spread out and find not so closely related earthworms. So the worms come to the surface and move about. And this often happens after rain. You, you will probably have witnessed lots of worms on the soil surface after rain. These are the poor worms that didn't find somewhere to burrow down after it stopped raining. So they're not coming to the surface to escape from drowning because they d- that won't happen. They're coming to the surface to try and find new places to live. The ones that you find under your plant pots are probably ones that have found some shelter under a plant pot because it's moist under there and they're not going to die and they're probably going to wait for the next opportunity then to move on and find somewhere to live. They, they, must have, they must be able to squash themselves so little because it almost seems like the plant pot has a seal around it and you think, you're, you're so big. How did you get in there? How are you going to yeah, get out? I mean, <laughs> they, 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 the natural shape of their bodies allows them to deform. Um, worms can escape from... If you, if you put a worm in a pot, we keep worms in, in pots for, for experimental purposes. If you don't put the lid on completely, then the worms can squeeze out through the smallest gap. You'd be surprised. Do you come into the lab um, sometimes and think, well, where are they? <laughs> <laughs> not these days, not these days. Perhaps a few years ago that was the case. But yeah, um, so uh, so that, that they are able to to squeeze through little gaps and uh, they, they, they won't thank you for moving the plant pots. I mean, I've done the same when I'm mowing my lawn. If I, if I move some plant pots that are close to the lawn edge, there are often lots of organisms, but including earthworms underneath, but they just scutter off and find somewhere else to go. They're incredible creatures. Thank you so, so much um, for all of your time, Kevin. It's lovely to meet you and I I love your passion and thank you for passing it on. Dr. Kevin Butt, reader in ecology at the University of Central Lancashire. Amazing. Darren, his his passion for, for the... Oh, I was going to call it the humble worm then, but I'm not even going to insult worms by calling them humble. His passion for the fascinating worm 
it's incredible, isn't it? It's inspiring, actually, listening to him. Yeah, I mean, you can tell it's a, it's a lifelong thing for him, isn't it? Mm. You know, and the passion is there. Yeah. His book... Uh, <laughs> I'm just obviously a worm man. A worm man. <laughs> worm man! I don't think there is one of those in the world, is there, as a superhero? Worm man. I don't know. There's an ant man. <laughs> there is now. Uh, yeah, that's Dr Kevin Butt. So his new book, Worm, is out on the 23rd of October 2023. An insight into the mysterious world of the remarkable and often underrated worm. Worms are remarkable but often underrated creatures, exploring their roles from gardener's friend to toothache culprits. This book offers an insight into the mysterious world of worms. So if you fancy reading more, uh, Kevin's book out soon. Thank you for your time, Dr Kevin. It was lovely to speak to you. Shall we now, Darren, do another question? Oh, actually, this is on hydrangeas. This comes from Sam. It was a question into our email, which is the Happy Garden Podcast at gmail.com. Molly Darren, I have a mop head hydrangea, which has been in a pot for several years now, and it's still flowering, although the blooms are now on the turn. The leaves are turning yellow too. I'm worried there isn't enough nutrition in the soil anymore. Shall I slash can I feed it, or would it be best to move it to a border? I'd like to keep it in a pot on the patio if possible, but it just doesn't look happy. Help! Exclamation mark, Sam. So, Sam, what you've got here is, you know, a plant that's been probably been in the pot for a long time. It probably just needs some fresh compost around it. Hydrangeas in pots are a little bit of a, a, a sort of a, a sticky situation for me. They're meant to be in the ground, so th- that's my point of view anyway. I mean, you can keep them into pots, but I'd pop it in the ground, to be honest. <laughs> but if you are going to keep it in a pot, pop it into a bigger size pot, put some fresh compost around the roots, and then your, uh, your sickly leaves and things things like that should pick up so it's literally telling you that it wants some uh, some food it wants some nitrogen might be a little bit of magnesium a little bit of potassium that's actually missing from the actual compost itself or even the plant has dried out and needs a really good soak so there's two options for you either move it to a bigger pot and put some really fresh compost around it and when you do that if that's what you're going to do just rake off some of the um, the old compost that's around the root ball don't tear into the root system because you don't want to damage it but just run your hand around and it'll just fall away for you and then put it in some fresh compost but ultimately I would recommend that you pop it into the ground if you've got somewhere to actually put it because obviously you might not have a big garden that's why you're growing things in pots there you go okay Sam thank you very very much for the question now live on the happy garden podcast it's time for Darren's money saving tips Darren, what are we saving money on using today? Well, if you run out of washing powder mm-hmm. or liquid, washing liquid, you can use nuts to ensure your Sorry? clothes are nice and clean. Nuts. You can use nuts to ensure your clothes are nice and clean. 40 grams of horse chestnuts. Uh, chop into pieces and then let them dry out. And then soak them in 500 millilitres of boiling water. Strain and add 8 millilitres of the strained water per wash. And you'll have lovely, clean, fresh-smelling wow. clothes. Wow. There you go. Soapy nuts. Now, you've just reminded me, actually, I do have a packet of soapy nuts. I do. <laughs> I'd forgotten about them. They've been in the back of the cupboard for years. Soapy nuts. Soapy nuts. Know what you're getting for Christmas? <laughs> My old soapy nuts. Excellent. Uh, is it just one money saving today, or have you got two? Just one. Oh, it's money just the one. Okay. Tip. Just the one. I don't yeah. know why I've written down times two. 
Very, very tired today, Darren. <laughs> How are you bearing up, by the way? Darren and I had a really heavy day yesterday. We? <laughs> we did, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. How are you bearing was, up? All right. I'm all right. Yeah, I'm OK. I'm slowly coming back to uh, civilization. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. My lovely dazzler. Uh, are we going to do SWAT or not? Is that um, on yes. the agenda as well? We can do a SWAT or not and talk about earwigs, if that's what you would like to do. Yes, we'll do that. SWAT or not, let's get that on. Now in the happy garden. What is it? Is it a bee? SWAT! Or not? I vote not! (laughs) So here we go then. The common earwig, the European earwig, is a brown insect. It's around about 13 to 15 millimetres long and has a pair of distinctive pincers or forceps on its rear end. I'm sure you've all seen these uh, running out of your compost heaps. Earwigs are detritus feeders, uh, decaying plant material in warm places and are very uh, maternal to their young, feeding and visiting them for a, a number of weeks after they've been born. Earwigs are omnivorous. They feed on other small invertebrates and plant material. They can reduce fruit aphid problems but they may feed on flowers and leaves of Clematis, Dahlia, Chrysanthemums and occasionally other plants and that's where we find problems with them folks. Young leaves and flower petals are eaten. Earwigs present on plants after dark so they're nocturnal and they are most active between May and September but on most fruit trees Earwigs can give good control for fruit aphids and do not cause damage to trees of fruit, providing shelters such as uh, flower pots loosely stuffed with hay in trees can help them to increase uh, numbers. We should tolerate earwigs in the garden. They are part of the natural balance and in some cases, especially in fruit trees, as, as I said, and shrubs can help reduce aphid numbers for us. Some creatures are like the gardener's friend and and depending on the time of year and what they're up to, the earwig falls into this category. And like wasps that we profiled last week, earwigs are highly effective predators of many tiny insects, including aphids and other common pests. Earwigs love to hunt in ivy, thickets of weeds and piles of leaves and debris, so grow susceptible plants away from their favourite haunts if you don't want those to be eaten. So, to swat or not... I think, regarding the earwig, definitely not. Not. Darren, we're nearly done. Yeah? How yes. about that? Podcast number three. Almost. Almost. Done. Finished. <laughs> we will, as always, though, finish with some jobs for the week ahead. We're recording this on the 18th of September. The forecast nationally. Bit wet and wild, actually. Darren, we had our fire on last night. Got home last night and my husband had lit the fire. Didn't need to, but just made it cosy, you know. Oh, lovely. But I think I might to, uh, need to this week because uh, we've got an awful lot of windy wet weather coming this week. But if we are going to get out and about in the garden and do some jobs this week... Now in the happy garden... Oh, I say, sweetie, this is my favourite bit. Time for Darren to be absolutely flabulous and regale us <laughs> with his gardening jobs for the week ahead. Well, yes. What shall we be going on with? So... 
Roses can be pruned after flowering, and indeed, if you do prune them after flowering, you might get some extra flowers. How about that? But after you've pruned them, just drop a little bit of fertiliser around the base, some fish blood and bones, something like that, just to give them a little bit of a perk up and harden them up for the uh, the winter to come. Evergreens can be lifted and moved around the garden in September, folks, and replanted. So if you put camellias, rhododendrons, whatever evergreens in the wrong place, then you can lift them right at this particular moment in time and move them into a better spot for you in your garden. Control grass and weeds um, on areas. Um, you can put down, you know, your uh, weed and feed if that's what you do, folks. And check young trees are securely tied on their stakes as we go into the autumn because we're sure to have a little bit of uh, a, a windy time, aren't we? If vegetables have gone over, then get them out, folks. You can leave vegetables in the ground as long as your soil is not too claggy. In other words, it doesn't hold on to water because they'll just rot and certainly get potatoes um, up because we don't want them to become what we call feeders that hold on to disease like blight and other things that might um, disturb your next potato crop. And I think that's it for Jobs for the Week this week, Molly Green. Nice. Well, I don't know about you, but I've had a thoroughly lovely time listening to that sweetie darling. I know that I will be having a crack at some of those jobs this week. Take care, everyone, and I'll see you next week for more absolutely rudgelicious gardening jobs Aww. for the week ahead. You're listening to the Happy Garden Podcast with Molly Green and Darren Rudge. Is that it? Can I go home now? Ah, oh, you can go home. I think we're all... Oh, no, actually, we are at home. I was going to say, can we go home? But we are at home, Darren. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going back to bed. What are you doing this afternoon? Uh, I've got to go and see, see a tree surgeon. Oh, have you? Have you? About, yeah. a, about a dog? About a dog, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, I, this week, uh, or next weekend, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Yes. yes, not quite sure which day I'm going, but I definitely am going on the Friday, the Saturday, or the Sunday forthcoming to the Malvern Autumn Show. Really, really looking forward to that. Giant vegetables, Darren. We'll be reporting on the giant vegetables. Yeah. And who's won what this year in the Guinness Book of Records? Longest snip, you know, biggest biggest pumpkin. That's the one, isn't it, Darren? Everybody, that's the one you'll see on your local news or the national news that, you know, the, the, getting, the pump, getting the pumpkin in and out is quite a feat. Yeah. So yeah. some of them are as big as a mini. Definitely. You know, as in the car. <laughs> uh, what else? What else could it possibly be? <laughs> I'm also going. I'm also going to speak to um, Nikki Chapman. No, that's a shame because she's your favourite, and uh, I know I'll say hello to her for you. Please. Yeah, and Amrit, and I've got a few a few people to chat to. I don't know if Titters is there or not. Ah, he should be. He will be. He'll be there somewhere. He might not be there on the day that you go, but he will be there, you think there so? at some point. I will yeah, be chatting definitely. to Adam Frost, who's a good friend of yours. Well, we used to work together, me and Adam Frost. Where were you working? Uh, at Winterbourne Gardens in Birmingham. I used to um, manage and run a training scheme for, um, oh, Lord, what's the name? Uh, Home Base. That was it. There you go. It comes back. It's age. Sorry, folks. Um, Home Base Academy, <laughs> it was called. And I used to manage the training scheme and teach on the training scheme with Adam Frost. Adam used to do the designy bit and I used to do uh, with another colleague all the horticulture stuff in and around so yeah we had some fun that's some real fun uh, over a period of about three to four years. Oh well I'll catch up with him hopefully at, at the weekend and next week on the podcast similar sort of stuff I do think I will introduce Molly's pickling parlour. Oh yes yes. We'll do some Can't pickling because yeah. we, we have a glut at the moment of gherkins. 
in the greenhouse, and they're all going a bit yellowy, and they, they just need to come off the plant. I don't know if I'll do gherkins. Well, maybe people can tell us what, what do they want me to profile um, to pickle <laughs> for, ne- for next week. We'll finish by giving you all the numbers. It is the Happy Garden Podcast at gmail.com. Or should I say the ways to get in touch? The Happy Garden Podcast at gmail.com. The Happy Garden Podcast now has its own Facebook page as well, which is smashing. And Darren Rudge, you've got your own Facebook. And me, Molly Green, Molly with an IE, I've got mine as yeah. well. Darren's in a blue shirt. I am. I've got headphones on. <laughs> That's how you'll find us. <laughs> All right, Darren, that has been smashing. Thank you ever so much for the podcast this week. Always my pleasure. And remember, folks, get into the garden. Have a happy garden. You've been listening to Molly Green and Darren Rudge. If you'd like to get in touch with them, email thehappygardenpodcast at gmail.com or follow them on social media. Just search for The Happy Garden Podcast. Tune in next week for another edition. And as Molly Green would always say, Happy Gardening! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, yeah, sorry. Happy Gardening! Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.